This episode is brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I have seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. Crimped has dozens of workouts crafted by world-class climbers and coaches that focus on all of the different facets of climbing performance and training, including workouts to guide your outdoor climbing. I just did a really fun collaboration with the guys at Crimped, and now all of you can try my three favorite outdoor bouldering workouts right there in the Crimped app. We've got one called Steven's Outdoor Bouldering Warm-Up, which is my go-to warm-up on a bouldering day. We've got Steven's Outdoor Limit Bouldering, which will guide you through my approach to projecting hard boulders. And finally, we've got Steven's Outdoor Strength Zone Bouldering, which will guide you through a strength-focused bouldering session. I've used that one a lot in Waco Tanks over the past few years with great results. And it's a great format for sending some of those second-tier boulders and building strength out there on the rock. Check out the Crimped app at crimped.com. That's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. And type in Steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, into the search bar in the app to try my go-to outdoor workouts. That's crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the app store. It's totally free to try. Type Steven in the search and have fun out there on the boulders. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Tiba Vroom. Tiba is a professional climber and gym owner from the Netherlands. And I got to meet her and climb with her early on in my trip to Magic Wood. And then we got to record this conversation a couple of weeks later when she was back home in the Netherlands. And I really enjoyed it. Tiba is super strong. She's an amazing climber. And she's a really thoughtful person. She's in her early 20s, but very introspective, wise beyond her years, and had a lot of great ideas and things to share. So I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Tiba Vroom. I want to kick things off by asking you about one of your tattoos, actually. So we got a chance to meet each other here in Magic Wood and climb together for a day. And it's hot here, so everyone's wearing shorts and you're, you know, I can see your tattoos. And I'm always fascinated about people's tattoos because I kind of want one. And I find the thought of getting a first tattoo is really intimidating to me. You know, it feels really important. It feels like it has to have meaning and all these things. Um, probably doesn't, but, but it's gone off the first one. Right. That's what everyone right. says, but I, I whatever. <laughs> but I still don't have the first one. So I still <laughs> feel hung up on that. Um, who knows if I'll ever get one, but yeah. So I was asking about your tattoos and how you got your first one. And you said that your first tattoo, the idea came from your very first trip to magic wood. And it sounds like it was a really special experience. Do you want to tell me about your very first trip to magic wood? Yes. Definitely. So um, I had never been to Magic Wood for a really long time and I always wanted to go there, but it's quite far or at least like it's like twice as far as Font. So and Font is obviously like you don't really miss anything there. So there was never really the urge to, to go. And then we had COVID. So less work to do, more free time. And um, I went with my boyfriend for a couple of days. Um, this was end of August, 2020. And then we were like, well, I had so many things 
to do still. I wanted to finish. So we would just go back like two weeks later because we had the time. Um, so we went back and then we had a, we have built a, a old school bus into a tiny house. Also during COVID, that's awesome. So we went with the bus and then we were like, well, he had to go back because his kids live in Leiden. So he doesn't want to be away from them for too long. We were like, well, why not just stay here for a little longer? So I stayed for a little longer and that turned into like, I don't know, I think three months in the end. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, it was really awesome. And it was really special because I'd never really been traveling by myself. Um, so, and also never been on such a long rock climbing trip. Um, so I learned a lot about myself. Um, yes, that mainly. And I was really confronted with a lot of things because I was just there on my own for a really long time. Um, and of course I made friends and stuff, but still like, it's a, it's a whole different experience than traveling with your partner or your kids or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's where I found out a lot of things about myself and that was really special to me and still it's like feels like that was a life-changing period. Mm. Um so I got a tattoo um that represents that. So it's it's a heart for love, it's a flaming heart, so it's like love and passion living from from those values um and it has an eye in it for like inside and uh, consciousness really. Mm. Can you elaborate on that? What 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 was it about the trip or what did you learn on the trip that made the eye and the consciousness feel like an important part of that tattoo? I think when I was growing up, I never really learned to open up about myself and like really look at certain things deep within me. So I would like close my eyes for, for certain things a little bit and when I was in Magicwood, I really had to confront them because this, I think, was is a really beautiful thing about high-level sports is that you see all those things directly in your performance. Mm. Um, so when you're mentally not feeling well, you're not performing as well. Um, so you basically get a, a very clear mirror in front of you for how you are doing. Um, and this definitely happened to me on that trip and after that as well. Um, and yeah, that made me realize that facing things, facing your past, facing your strengths as well is the most important thing in life, really, because then you can work with it, but you can also gain your confidence and you really get to know yourself Um and I talked a lot about this with my partner. So that's where that's where that came from that I and he also actually has the same tattoo in a different style in a different form, um, which is really great. Mm, that's really cool. What did you notice? Was it a specific moment or a specific climb or like a theme that kept popping up? What was it that you noticed? What did you notice in your climbing that you realized um, was actually an issue that was coming from from somewhere else? Um, well, I figured out. Well, so I the first two weeks I was there, I tried a lot of different uh, boulders, and I 
did them all quite fast. So I'd never really projected for that long. And then I tried Riverbed, this 8B. Um, and then I was like, I had never done 8B before. Before the trip, I had done one 8A in my life. So it was like, <laughs> That's okay. so impressive. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it really suited me and I really liked it. So I basically decided to stay there until I could climb Riverbed. And um, that it turned out to be like quite a long time. Um, but I'd never done that before. And because it was so high level and so such also an important performance to me that I really um, got yeah confronted with what performance means to me. Um, and also, what if you fail? So a lot of fear of failure as well, mm. um, which I had had already for when from when I was young, basically. Um, and I really figured that out on that trip. Um, mm. Yeah, and around that time as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. I watched your video of, of Riverbed. I'll share it for people that want to see it. It you just looked so smooth when you sent it. It was just so fun I know. to watch. Someone commented <laughs> on it that it looks like a six B, and I'm like, that took me so long. <laughs> I mean, that's the classic funny thing about hard climbing, right? Like people, I get I get comments like that a lot too. It's like, oh man, you totally crushed it. Like you should try this harder thing, and it's like man, you don't get no. it. Like it, it took no. me like a month to do this thing. And I had to climb it perfectly to do it. Cause if I made any little mistakes, exactly, it was too yeah. hard. And then I would fall. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. And I think that's one of my strengths in climbing to really perfect movements until they are super smooth mm. um, and keep working on it. Keep learning, keep improving yeah. on certain moves so that they are like super efficient. And that's why it looks so easy. Yeah. Well, it's super cool. I um I interviewed Louis Parkinson a while ago before I came on this trip, and we talked about his trips to Magic Wood, and we talked about Riverbed specifically because that was one of the climbs that I had seen of him that really stood out to me. Like, wow, that looks amazing. It looks so unique and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the few things in Magic Wood that was kind of on my radar before I came out here. So now it's really fun to to meet you and to see the boulder. And I've tried it a little bit now and um, to watch your Do you video. Like it? I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of, I, I tried it actually just a couple nights ago. It's been very warm here. So we've been doing night sessions mm -hmm. and even like at midnight or, you know, last night we climbed until three in the morning and it still wasn't cold, you know, like it was doable, oh, yeah. but not, not yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and so I realized like I kind of had, kind of had a bad attitude. I think when I was trying it, I was a little bit too quick to um, be hard on myself and write myself um, dismiss my, dis dismiss myself as far as like my ability to do it. And I kind of just immediately mm. thought like, wow, this, this is like kicking my ass. It feels really hard, but mm. it is hard. It's eight B, you know, I tried it for like basically half of a session in warm conditions, kind of towards the end of my trip when I'm probably tired and also don't have that much time, you know, like if I, if I knew that I was going to be able to try this thing for a couple months, I would have had a very different attitude, you know, like I would have been yeah. really excited to, probably do any of the moves and etc so yeah and the attitude matters so much what does the attitude yeah yeah totally yeah yeah is that one of the that was you know first woman in the netherlands to climb 8b that was a really big deal does that feel like one of the most meaningful climbs you've done for sure and obviously because like the result is so like 
quite special and like first woman in the Netherlands, which is cool because I really like to inspire women as well. Um, so that's really nice, but it's mainly the personal like path mm. that went along with it that makes it really special. Like also because, um, yeah, it was so much higher than I'd ever climbed before. And during the first couple of weeks of, of the trip, I just built up a lot of confidence because I did many boulders that I may have perceived too hard for myself, even a couple months earlier. Um, so I think I did it really well. And like from the start, when I started trying it, I think I did all the moves in like two sessions or so. And from then on, I was like, all right, I truly, truly believe that I can do this. And I just said, all right, I will just try until I can. And I did. So that gives me <laughs> a lot of confidence that if I work hard for something that I can do it. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super empowering. Yeah. Um, let's back up and talk more about your personal story and talk more about uh, pressure, performance pressure and the fear of failure thing. I think that's really interesting. So um, to kind of lead into that, tell me a little bit about how you got introduced into climbing because what's interesting about you is you're incredibly strong and you started a, a climbing gym and you work at a climbing gym and as the owner and manager and, and coach and all these other things. And you live in like one of the flattest countries on the planet with basically no rocks to climb. So how did you first get introduced to rock climbing? Yeah. Um, well, I there are a lot of gyms here in the Netherlands, especially nowadays. Um, but when I started climbing, oh, I don't know, like 15 years ago or something, um, it was mainly top roping. Um, so one bouldering gym in the entire country and then some like little things here and there with the rope climbing. Um, also all top rope, no lead, which is crazy, I think. Um, but that's just the norm over here. Um, but there were already quite some gyms when I started. So I just went during like a school holiday. I just went once with my sister and my dad and we just Liked it really much. So we joined the kids club uh, in uh, like one city next to ours. Um, and we just started doing that. And then, um, yeah, the trainers just were like, well, you're talented. And I think I started doing competitions quite early on, like the national competitions from age nine or something, um, which was quite rare back then because that age category didn't really exist. So I just had to join the older kids. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. and now they started like way, way younger, but, um, it was all like, because the Netherlands is so flat, we don't really have a big history of climbing. So we have always had climbers and we have had the occasional, like really good international climber, like Jorf Verhoeven and some people who like made World Cup finals like once or twice, but there is no culture of really high level climbing here in the Netherlands. So basically for, for me, that meant that when I was a kid, I was already really good, really soon. So I was like national champion, national youth champion. Um, and <clears throat> that was, yeah, something that made me feel like I was very good, um, which I probably was, but it's like within these, this bubble of, the Dutch climbing scene, which is mm. like nothing compared to the rest of the world. And I think that gives you 
a, a certain perspective on what you should be doing. So if I wasn't winning, it was like quite a bad day for me, basically. Mm. Um, so I really started identifying with that. And also because of pressures around me, I think, um, yeah, what I see in myself, but also a lot of young people around me is like pressure from parents. For me, it's especially pressure from my dad, who really wanted me to, to do well. Um, and I just really started to identify with that as like a person, which also had a lot of influence on my self-worth. Um, and then I started doing the World Cups in 2018. And then suddenly it was like, I was like second to last or something. I, I had like two zones. It was so shocking to me. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that whole yeah, pressure, but also like expectation of yourself just having to be the best all the time um, is really harmful for a kid. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've always found that kind of fascinating to think about what it must be like to be a really talented kid who does well at anything from a really young age. Yeah. And that feeling of like, I imagine it's almost like a everything to lose, nothing to gain situation where you're expected to mm -hmm. win and... Yeah. anything worse than first place is a loss, you know? And, and, um, yeah. for, for almost anyone else, that would be kind of crazy, right? Like for me, if I ever made it to, yeah. to finals in like a local bouldering cup, I'd be totally psyched. <laughs> um, yeah. And also like what people don't really realize is we hear a lot of the success stories. So everybody knows Yanya Garnbred, everybody knows Brooke Rabbit too, like, but for every one of those successful girls, there's like a hundred unsuccessful girls who also really want to be there. Right. And we just don't really hear those stories. Um, and that can people can leave people with a lower self-worth, I think. So I think that's also important to share and to talk about. Right. Yeah, I think especially in America, we make this false assumption that the people at the top, like Yanya and Brooke, like they're at the top, they must just be working harder than everyone else, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and maybe they are, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they are. Um, but yeah. I'm sure that there are other people out there who are working at least very close to as hard, who just for whatever reason, don't have all of the things clicking at the same time, you know? Maybe it's like yes. a, a, you know, mindset thing or just like a talent thing or a genetic thing or um, the yeah, support they had so as a kid or... Right, yeah. right. So many factors for sure. Yeah, financial support or yeah, whatever else it is. Yeah, and the country as well. It's like a really big, really big difference, I think. Yeah, yeah, sure. How um how old were you when you very first started climbing? So you started competing at nine. How old were you when you yeah. started? Um, Around six or seven. Okay, and you're 23 now? Yeah. Okay, fast math. Okay, so probably 2006 or... 2007 you started something like that 2007 yes 2007 2007 okay that's when i started climbing that's cool oh yeah yeah oh funny <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a lot older than you i was 18 at the time so but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um cool. and then yeah you mentioned pressure from your dad and you sent me an interesting message before this conversation we were talking back and forth about potential topics and things and it sounds like you had kind of a love-hate relationship with climbing, or at least with competing, that came from 
or, or maybe just with performance, but you know, from the success, mm -hmm. maybe from the pressure with your dad and then the, the fear of failure that comes with being used to success and maybe feeling expected to succeed. Do you still feel that way? What does your relationship look like now with fear of failure in particular? Um, it's definitely still there. And now I haven't competed since COVID. So, um, it's mainly now with outdoor climbing. And I think such fear of failure is very deep. So it's like a process that you really need to work through. And I have been working through it, um, for quite a long time. Um, but it's definitely still there and it's definitely all about trying to find a balance because you're also like, I am an aspiring professional athlete, so I do want to perform as well. So there's always the balance between like, if I want, I can just only climb easy things, but I won't get, um, validation for myself, like out of it. So mm. I won't be really satisfied. I think if I would only do that. Um, so I also want to push myself. Um, and definitely there has been this question of, do I really want this or just want this because it's expected of me? So I have asked myself that question before. Definitely realized, yes, I want this. I like this. Um, I am motivated to push myself, to train hard, to climb hard, to try things that are really hard for me. To love this fear of failure because of it. So it's all about finding a balance there. Um, and I think that comes with time, but also very hard work. So like mental training and stuff. And I think it's getting better and better. And I also think that I'm getting a lot out of it as a person. So I'm becoming more conscious of who I am, um, of what climbing means to me. And I think, as I said, like high level sports really bring this up at an early age, uh, which I think is very special. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, totally. Climbing such a great teacher, isn't it? I, I mean, maybe maybe yeah. everything is. Um, you know, maybe chess is in the same way. If you're trying to become a you know a grandmaster or something, and trying to mm. to hone your craft um, in, in anything, but I appreciate that so much about climbing too. Like climbing has taught me a lot of the most powerful lessons in my life, and maybe it is just because like you can't hide from yourself. Like you said, you know, like when you're yeah. when you're pushing up against a hard performance. Yeah. All, all the things come out, you know, you're not just talking yeah. about uh, performance mindset and, uh, and climbing technique and, and strength anymore. There's, there's the doubt, there's the confidence, there's the ego, there's the, um, yeah. Ego is a really big thing. I think. What, what does your mental training look like? Are you working on that in a climbing context? Do you do other things outside of climbing as well to, to train that? Um, well, I talk a lot about this with my partner, who's also my coach. So that is really helpful. He is very experienced and um, has also like a big background in these kind of topics. Um, so that I think is the most helpful thing. And like talking about it also with my friends, with my climbing partners, um, that is something that is really nice. And also just taking some time for myself to really think about who am I, but mainly like 
where lies my strength? Um, who am I as a person? Yeah, really relying on yourself, on your own power. Um, and also knowing that if that whole uh, performance aspect falls away from your life, you're still good enough as a person. Mm. So you might fail at a boulder, but you will never fail as a person because you are a lot, there's a lot more value to you than only that. And this is climbing is a game we play, which we like mm. and like build our lives around to have something nice to do. Um, but it's not only who we are. Mm. Totally. Yeah, totally. You sent me another interesting thing. I have this line in front of me from some bullet points that you sent me. It says consciousness, positivity, and personal development and power. Why did you send me that line of all the things that we could talk about? Why, why did that feel important to you? Well, this is what I really focus on building my life around. So um, I think the first thing I sent you was personal story. And then if I think about my personal story, what I am currently working on is, um, yes, getting more, being more conscious um, and in a positive way and developing more as a person um, and gaining power from personal development. So, um, yeah, exactly what I said, really. It's like trusting yourself as a valuable person for who you are um, and working on that confidence, that personal power, uh, that consciousness in a really positive way. Because I think if you can live from your own strength and your own positivity and you can value that so much, um, then it's a really positive way to live and you and life just gets nicer. Mm, yeah. What are some of the aspects of yourself that you focus on that feel fulfilling for you? Like, let's say you're having a bad climbing day and I, I don't know if you do this. I definitely do this. It's like shocking to me how quickly I can go from feeling on top of the world to feeling like I suck. And you know, I've, I'm 34, so I've gotten a lot more maturity over the years and I, I know that it ebbs and flows and um, it doesn't totally like derail me, but but it's 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 fascinating how the brain is and how quickly we can, you know, um, latch on to this story that we're making up. Um, mm -hmm. What what helps you through those bad training days or bad climbing days? What do you focus on? Well, first of all, I think what I used to do when I was younger is not accept that part of me, um, which makes you really fight it internally and only makes it worse. So that's the first step for sure. It's like acceptance like these negative feelings are part of life um one bad training is like it will pass because that's what emotions do they pass like every emotion ever has has passed so this will pass as well and it's okay um i don't have to be like perfect um and i have this um this thing that i use uh, with my coach a lot with my partner um, and we call it the, the six, the eight and the 10. Um, and it's really about me as a person being the eight. Um, so I don't have to be perfect like the 10. I don't have to be um, the best climber in the world at this moment. I don't have to pretend that I am only positive, but I also don't have to be the six where I'm like, 
not at all a good climber or hmm. really negative all the time. Um, I am the eight and that's a little bit of both and it's in perfect balance. Um, and that is really strong, um, but it's not perfect. So I love that. Me, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm just immediately thinking about applying that to my own climbing. Probably on the last couple of days of this trip, I'll be reminding myself that. Yeah, uh, thank, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's a really cool thing. Yeah, it really, really helps me. Um, and like putting all my effort in building up that aid and believing in myself um, as that person really helps. Yeah. You know, climbing is it's so interesting because unlike basically every other sport I can think of, the highest levels of human performance and achievement are, they feel super accessible, right? Like I could never go play basketball with LeBron James or run on the mm -hmm. track with mm -hmm. Usain Bolt, mm -hmm. right? But I can go to Magic Wood and look at the understanding or I can go to you know, somewhere else in Switzerland and look at, look at Alfa. And I don't actually know what crag that's at, <laughs> embarrassingly <laughs> off the top of my head, but, um, Chronico. yeah, we can you, totally, yeah. Chronico. So it's, I could drive there tomorrow and go look at this thing and feel the holds and even climb on it if I wanted to. And run into Daniel Woods in the process. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. While yeah. Trying Alfa. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure it's, um, I'm sure I, I live like an exaggerated version of this because of what I do. You know, I talk to some of the best climbers in the world every week, mm. all the time. So it really, I really have to be careful. Like, um, I have to remind myself constantly that it makes zero sense to compare myself to the best climbers in the world. You know, like if I started, yeah, I don't know if I, if I picked up another hobby or another sport or, you know, I play chess a lot on chess.com, I'm not going to compare myself to these prodigies that started playing chess as like five-year-olds and have devoted their life to it. That mm. makes no sense. Mm. Um, but in climbing, it's, it's tempting to do that because we can touch the same pieces of rock, climb on the same boulders. And these people seem so chill. They just seem like normal people. And I imagine for you, you know, being uh, the Dutch champion and then going to the World Cup and having that experience, it must just be a total... Did that just totally rock your like identity at the time? It was crazy because I'd like I'd been watching the World Cups ever since I was a little girl. That was my biggest dream ever to be a World Cup finalist and like one of those climbers. And then I was just like warming up next to them, next to them, and I was so nervous. I could like <laughs> not function. I couldn't function. And then you have these boulders that are like super hard, and you know you can do them because you have trained for it and you have the level i mean otherwise you wouldn't be there but they just seem so intimidating and like every little mistake like that's the thing about world cups for sure like every little mistake can cost you like 20 places because mm. everyone is so good and i had never experienced this before where like everyone was so good and better than me um yeah that was so shocking mm. What does your relationship with competition look like nowadays? Do you think you'll com continue to compete? Do you still compete or have you focused more? Have you shifted uh, your focus to outdoor rock climbing? Well, I really have shifted my focus to outdoor rock climbing at the moment and in the past couple of years. So basically I stopped competing because of COVID. I did the whole national season in 2020 until like March because then everything got shut down, of course. Um, 
And then I tried again in 21, but it was like no national season, no preparation season, um, only two World Cups, which both didn't go really well. So then you have like, that's your season and you can't really learn from either. So that was kind of shitty. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to focus on rock climbing for now uh, because it's more stable. And I, and I really started to enjoy it. I had never really done it for a long time before. Um, and I just figured out how nice it was. So it has been like that for a couple of years now but I definitely still do feel the spark of competition climbing so last March we hosted the Dutch National Bouldering Championships in our gym Mm. um, which was really cool by the way and I was a a root setter there and I really did enjoy it and I was like oh this is so cool so um, but I am not really sure yet because I'm motivated for both and we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you a couple more questions about your magic wood trips or just rock climbing trips in general, coming from Netherlands in particular without access to, to rock climbing. Um, and I want to talk about your gym in a little bit too. So maybe we can lead into that, but what do you do in the gym to prepare for these outdoor bouldering trips? Because, you know, I, th- and I, th- I think this is a great question that a lot of people listening will relate to. Um, the Netherlands is a little bit like the Midwest, maybe for us in the States, you know, people in Ohio or something that love climbing. They, they spend a lot of their time in the climbing gym and then it's like six hours or more to go to the Red River Gorge for a weekend. Um, and it's so important with that limited time and that investment and, you know, driving six hours to a crag, you want to feel like you're climbing well as soon as you get there. But for me, at least, I don't know. I, I've spent so much time, I've spent more time rock climbing than gym climbing. So generally, if I get stronger in the gym, I am able to apply it pretty quickly, but I know a lot of other people are in the exact opposite situation. Um, how, do you, how do you focus in and dial in your rock sense in the gym for an outdoor bouldering trip? Well, um, I climb mostly outdoors in Fontainebleau. Um, which is very different from gym climbing. So, for example, um, Briona and Magicwood are way more applicable to like a spray wall, for example. Like, um, you can try these boulders that you can like almost exactly replicate on the spray wall. But in front, that's never the case because it's like super rounded and slopey and stuff. Um, so, at some point, like a year and a half ago, I think, me and my partner and some friends from the gym, we just started going to font like twice a month, uh, if possible. Um, and that really, really helped me. So after like a year or so, like I imagine I could see so many improvements in my rock climbing. So for me, it's been like doing that um, systematically has really helped. And then my training is a little bit more general. So I think for most of what I want to improve at and what I have the most room to improve at is like physical strength. So like finger strength, um, but also just raw power. Um, And I can do that really well in the gym. So that's what I usually focus on. And then sometimes like longer boulders on the spray wall. Um, Climbing technique is has always been quite like one of my strongest points. Um, But then the more specific to font is like just going there very often. Um, But what I do find really difficult is that it always takes me some time to really get into the rock climbing. So for example, 
when I had that trip to Magic Wood and Ticino a couple of weeks ago, it's just one week in both areas. It's just a little bit too short for me to really get into it. Yeah. Um, and with font, because I go there so often, it's like, well, you can just work on a climb for two days and then be back like two weeks later. And it's mm. not so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an area, if you only have a week or two, and then the next time you'll be there is a year later, maybe for also only a week or two, I find that really challenging. Yeah, totally. I, I feel totally the same. Yeah. So that, yeah, that translates less well, I think, even though the climbing style does translate better. And also because you, if you have a, uh, like more a trip coming up to a place where you don't go as often, you pick out your project and you train for them specifically. And then you have a very limited time frame to do them so you also like i definitely then put a lot of pressure on myself i want to get into it from the first day because i have already feel like i don't have enough time and then i don't allow myself the time to like have a couple of sessions on some easier boulders to just get used to the area again to get used to the projecting again you're working around the conditions it's like so many things um that i think for me, what works best is definitely to take longer trips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, longer trips if you can. Or I've had a similar thing where I tend to do really well. Like I, I actually had a really great rhythm when I lived in Bend, Oregon, and climbed at Smith every weekend. You know, like I kind of knew how to train midweek that would support my rock climbing. Yeah. But I was always trying my projects consistently enough that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd make technical improvements and beta improvements and things week on week. Yeah. And it takes all, yeah, it takes so much pressure off to to have more time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what also really helps for me is what I started doing recently is write down a lot of things. So I will write down, um, the things like write down my plan for a boulder. So be like, oh, this session, I did this, this, um, and for the next step, I will try to make this link. And then after that, I'll try to make this link. And then after that, I'll try to start from the start. Uh, this is my micro beta, take some videos so that I, if I come back after like a couple of weeks to a project, I don't have to redo a lot of the micro beta learning, mm-hmm. um, because that takes a lot of time. So if you write it down, uh, yeah, it really helps for me also because you're thinking about your boulders more, um, so it's not like, oh, you leave the boulder so you're not thinking about it anymore. You're like more conscious about what you actually did, uh, what you actually learned, like the micro beta that you learned. Um, sometimes it's like, oh, when you get to this hold, you just need to really think about pinching it really hard and then makes the next move a lot easier. And those are the things that you can so easily forget mm-hmm. when you come back like a couple of weeks later. Um, so this has been really helpful. Yeah. Totally. One, um, one trick that people can try, I started doing this a few years ago because um, I noticed I wasn't writing down enough because it would just take so much time. And if I did write a lot of stuff, I wouldn't go back and read it all because it felt overwhelming. So what I started doing, we always have our phones on us. So I started taking more video memos where I would just oh, yeah. film the holds on the rock climb and talk about them. And be like, on this hold, exactly. you need to do this. Yep, like index finger needs to go right here like this and then you can kind of pinch yeah. this thing and you know I, I find that super helpful and it's it's motivating too because it's really funny oh yeah <laughs> please do yeah what climb is it for oh i have a couple i have one from atrezi what is that um it's the hardest one of the big five in font um 
but it's so funny because it's like super cold middle of the winter and I'm wearing like five jackets and I'm getting a stick and I'm like trying to get a hold and I'm like ah, here I need to half crimp with my pointy finger there and there so funny <laughs> it's the hardest one of the big five what what does that mean I'm not familiar with the area uh, it's 8A okay so it's um in Cuvier Ramparts like the there is this in Fontainebleau it's one of the main um yeah, main classic areas for hard boulders. And there are these five boulders from 7C to 8A. Originally, there were four. Um, and they are like so stunning and super classic. So it's like Big Boss, Fourmi Rouge, uh, Tristesse, Big Golden, and Atresi. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, we call it the Big Five. And I it's see. Uh, a big uh, thing in font. Gotcha. Yeah, cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I also I also had the thought when you were talking like about shorter trips. Weather is so tricky. That's something that this trip has reminded me of. Like I almost I, I'm learning about myself that I almost want to pick trips based on weather and climate more than the climbing. Because um, I for for me personally, like I just get so much more motivated and inspired when I feel good, when the weather feels good and when it feels cold. Mm -hmm. And I can be in like the most beautiful area in the world, but if it's hot and kind of humid, I just have a hard time feeling psyched. You know, I can rally and like still climb and have been able to send some things here. But um, yeah, that's been pretty interesting to kind of learn about myself. Like I... I would rather climb in like a less world-class area with really good conditions than be kind of battling against an amazing boulder in, in warmer humid conditions, at least most of the time. Like sometimes you got to just go try the amazing inspiring line, you know, like whatever the weather's doing. But the first day that you and I met, I think everything, it had rained a lot the day before. It was like a beautiful sunny day, but everything in the forest was just so... It was so, the worst day ever. <laughs> it was the worst day ever. And so we walked up to Octopussy and basically our session for the day was just like, I think you used your sweater and I had a rag and we were just drying it out all the insane. holes and, and chalking them and stuff. And and then we it was dry the next day and we were able to climb on it. It was, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> we had really good conditions the next day. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was one of the better days on it, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, one more funny story about that, that you told me about, um, preparing for, I think one of your magic wood trips. I don't know if this will, will, um, will translate now that I'm asking you to tell it again, but it was, your delivery was just so funny when you told this story, but you were talking about training your flexibility to try some beta. Do you remember, <laughs> can you tell me about that? Because yes, it's just so, it's so perfect. Like. I just love the the links that rock climbers will go to to try to send something. It's just it's such a good story. But anyway. All right. I'll tell the whole story. Um, I was in Fontainebleau in last November. Um, and I was trying this climb called Les Beaux-Cartiers. Uh, it's an 8A. It's super classic. It's really hard. It's like crazy, crazy hard. Um but um, I was climbing on it with Lily Kiskin, the German girl, and there was this really, there's this really um, specific crux sequence which I was really struggling with. There are a ton of different methods, um, and all of them felt just so hard to me. And Lily could do it with a double heel hook. With um, so basically, you are low. You have a right hand. You get your 
left heel by your hand you make a big move up and then you kind of need to map like go to a really bad intermediate and then to a quite far but quite good edge um you can also skip the intermediate but this is like really hard to keep the tension and lily was doing it with a right heel hook next to her right hand uh, neck and having her left heel hook on still as well um but i couldn't do it because i couldn't get my heel to go there so i was like oh i'll just stretch because i wasn't I think I, I wasn't planning to go back to the boulder until like this spring. Um, so I was like, all right, I have some time. I'm just going to stretch so that I'm flexible enough to do this method of this boulder. And then I went back to try it. Wait, how long did you, how long did you stretch for? How long did you dedicate to stretching? Yeah, like a couple months, like definitely like every other day or so. <laughs> so it was like committed stretching. Also, I just wanted to get more flexible in general, but this mm-hmm. was like my motivation to get more flexible. Then I tried it again in spring and I was flexible enough. But after like two tries, I was like, no, not my method. (laughs) And then (laughs) I was like, well, go back to the other one. Um, So that was funny. And then we climbed on Octopussy a couple of weeks ago. And then I could do the double heel hoop instead of the cut loose because I was flexible. Oh, nice. nice. It It finally paid for itself. Nice. Yeah, so it's always <laughs> good to get more flexible, even though it's not working for your current project. Hell yeah. I just yeah. I just love that that story though, because it says so much about climbers in general and the willingness to just do crazy things to try to get better at our sport, but also about you and your personality and your dedication. Um, but yeah, the fact that you spent like multiple months training your flexibility every other day to be able to do this beta and then you get back there and you're flexible enough to do it and you're immediately like this is shitty beta this is this is not my way (laughs) so funny guys it's crazy yeah (laughs) yeah did you end up finding a way i did do the move but only like once or twice okay um so i'm i'm still like yeah it's still a project but i'm i was on my last trip there, I was like, I'm going to try this. I'm just going to commit to this one beta because I change it around all the time, but I still couldn't do it. So <laughs> I need to get stronger fingers, I think. <laughs> Got you. <clears throat> cool. But that always helps for everything. That so always helps good. for everything. I know flexibility and mm-hmm. fingers for sure. If you like mm-hmm. don't know what to do to get better, those are probably worthwhile things all the yeah. time to invest en- yeah. energy into. Exactly. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rumple. Rumple is on a mission to introduce the world to better blankets. And I think they've done that. My Rumple blanket is literally one of my favorite things I own. It's so cozy. It's like having the coziness of a puffy sleeping bag with you wherever you go. Rumple's original puffy blanket is made of the same materials as your favorite outdoor gear. It pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a durable water repellent finish. So it's water resistant, stain resistant, and odor resistant. This thing's amazing. It'll be your new favorite blanket, whatever the circumstances, even if you just use it at the house. It's the best. Also, Rumpel has branched out and makes a ton of other amazing products. The Nanoloft travel blanket is the size of a Nalgene when packed down and can travel with you literally anywhere. And the Nanoloft flame blanket, that's the one I have, has a fire-resistant top layer so you can sit next to a campfire with your puffy blanket and not have to worry about burn holes. Amazing. 
I also have the Everywhere Mat. This thing is a perfect little porch for my van. It's also perfect for a picnic or for hanging out at the crag. And the Everywhere Towel is super handy as well. This thing takes up no room at all. It's a full-size towel. It's so convenient for travel. It dries super quickly. And if you're like me and live in a van, it's a total must-have. I actually got rid of my regular towel because this thing was better. I just love Rumple. Everything they make is amazing. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Wonderful Pistachios. You guys know that I mostly eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition. And I'm always looking for good crag snacks to bring to the boulders or to the cliff. Something with some substance to keep me fueled for hours and hours of climbing. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help keep you feeling fuller longer than other snacks. And they're super convenient and so tasty. Their no-shell flavors include the classic roasted and salted, That's my favorite, super basic, I know. Salt and pepper, honey roasted, chili roasted, and smoky barbecue. They are all so good, you literally can't go wrong. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of sizes, perfect for enjoying by yourself or with family or friends, or taking them with you on your climbing adventures. So whether you're hitting the gym after work or heading out on a weekend adventure, Fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Again, that's wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. And now back to the show. Let's see here. Tell me about your gym. So you helped start, you, you were one of the founders and helped start this Really unique gym, both the the style and the format of the gym for the Netherlands sounds really unique, and then the business model is really unique. How did this first come about? Well, in the Netherlands, we currently have a lot of bouldering gyms, like a crazy, crazy amount. Um, and But they're all set up as like really commercial, recreational, um, like almost an alternative for the for for the fitness gym uh, to like just go in do your thing there wasn't really like high level training available in most gyms or at least not the mindset mm. for high level training yeah what, what real quickly what is the climbing culture like there is it mostly a gym climbing culture like do do people yeah start climbing in the gym and then eventually start going to Fontainebleau and go on trips or is it you're shaking your head i no. think of the Dutch climbers have maybe climbed outdoors not more than once or twice. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, So you start in the gym, you climb in the gym, maybe you find friends that want to go too far during Easter and then you do that once and then you go back to the gym. Mm -hmm. And some people even are like, oh, I don't like rock climbing in Fontainebleau at all because suddenly I cannot do 7A anymore, but like 5B. And they are unmotivated and go back to their easy climbs in the gym. Um, so that's very much a culture of like indoor, indoor climbing. Um, and yeah, it's so disconnected from the idea of rock climbing, but also quite disconnected from like 
really training for climbing, like really dedicated training for climbing. And so there wasn't really a place where that was the norm. Um, and I think because me, like my partner had always had like a group of people that he coached and we were always very dependent on what the gym wanted, like the times, the things they were, they had available. Um, and for me as an athlete, it was always like, oh, you cannot use the weight room today because there is a kids party there or whatever. So it was kind of, yeah, just an environment where it's not like. Uh, supportive of what I was doing mm -hmm. um, so we were like all right we because um, my partner has kids they live here so we wanted to stay in Leiden um, and we were like all right for me as a professional athlete I want to either move to another country because the facilities are just better or get my own facility um, so we did the second one um, we started building our own thing and we started thinking about what we want. And we also found it very important to make it nonprofit um, because really we don't want to exploit it as a normal gym. We just want this place to be there as we want it to be there. Um, and we felt like that would be best to do with a nonprofit setup. Yeah, that's awesome. I love... Um... I looked at your website. I love it. Like the the whole vibe, the style, the name, wild wildflower, yeah. right? Wildflower climbing. Yeah. Wildflower climbing. Um, just the artwork on the website. The whole vibe is like it, it's you. really good. It's like a gym that I want to go train at for sure. You know, it's like I would definitely choose your gym to get a membership at. I also really liked your core values. I watched your kind of introduction video. Mm -hmm. I think it was like the initial video to get crowdfunding for the gym. Oh yeah. Um, facilitate high level climbing. That's your number one. Number mm -hmm. two, minimize your environmental impact. Super mm -hmm. awesome. Number three, stand up for social diversity and equality. Yep. And it sounds like you do a lot in the community there to um, to be proactive about diversity and bring in paraclimbers and make that a welcoming environment for lots of different types of people. How do you balance number one and number three? I think that's interesting because I think when we think of oh. high performance climbing, it almost feels elitist or it can, and it feels almost counter to being a welcoming place for diversity to bring in newer mm -hmm. climbers, obviously, because, because they're brand new. They're not thinking about training and performance yet. How do you balance number one and number three? Well, this is what we really struggled with in the beginning because we thought we wouldn't be able to do that, but it turned out to be way easier than expected because the gym is so like small scale that Basically, we get to decide everything. So if we decide we want to hold a paraclimbing climbing day for kids, for example, we can just empty a wall, set a bunch of easy routes and hang up a bunch of top ropes and they can have a great time. And then the next day we can change it back to whatever crazy hard slap climb there was on it. So it's um, and it's super nice. And, and I think because we... Most of our walls are more spray walls. Um, you can just combine everything together. So we have a spray wall, like a 45 degree spray wall, a straight spray wall and a 20 degree one. The 20 degree, we have a dyno wall on it now, which is obviously a lot of jugs. So we just set in a bunch of extra jugs so that the kids can just do 
like try to climb up it, which is really nice. Um, and then for the straight wall, we have like, it's more of, it's uh, made as like a little bit of a run and jump. Um, yeah, kind of dynamic movement spray wall, um, which is, which you can do really hard boulders on, which is super cool. But also if you just set like small jugs in between that are in nobody's way, everybody can climb on it from someone who is five years old and has never climbed before. Mm. Um, so yeah. And because we also focus on classes, uh, we always help people, uh, use our walls. So it's not like because spray walls can be really intimidating if you don't know how to use them. Yeah. Um, but because we have so many classes, we can really introduce people to this type of training, this type of climbing. Um, and that makes it really accessible for everyone. Mm. Yeah, super cool. And the, the nonprofit format is really interesting too. I'm sure that that's interesting to some people listening that, you know, there, there's people all over the place that have ideas for starting gyms and things. And, this is kind of unique. How is that working? Is it is it working well? Has it been challenging? What have been some of the the hurdles or challenges that you face with the nonprofit side of things? Well, it's always difficult. And I think our main challenge in the beginning was really finding our place and our uh, identity in the climbing community because it's never been done before. Um, so as I said, like we thought we wouldn't be really accessible for non-high level climbers but we turned out to be but we really marketed on that in the first period so that was kind of something that we did wrong so i think that was uh quite a struggle for us to reverse mm. um because everybody was just like oh no that's way too hard for me and we were like we have five-year-old kids who never climbed before here so you can climb on this for sure oh i see um, so you're you started out marketing it as mainly a training center for for high performance Yes. Gotcha. Um, so that was kind of our most um, important hurdle, I would say. Yeah. And also because nobody really understood what we were doing in the beginning. Maybe we ourselves also. <laughs> because it was so different from like a regular gym. Um, yeah. And I think people can really easily be like, oh, I don't know what it is. Whatever. I'm not going to get involved with it. But now it started growing and we have a lot of international people, expats and students. Um, and now our most important value is really um, the community. So we are smaller. We have a great community because we have all the classes. Everybody sees each other at the same time. So everybody really knows each other. And I think that's also been the most rewarding. But we're never going to get big hmm. because we are just not yeah, we don't have that capacity. We don't like, it's me and my partner doing all the work with some volunteers and a third um, partner in who um, who are in the foundation. But me and my partner are the, are the only ones working full-time for the gym. So we do all administration, all our marketing ourselves, all the classes. Um, so we can never, yeah, have many more people than we have right now so we will never be like really profitable um and that's definitely also been a learning experience but it's not what we wanted in the first place and that's why we made it non-profit so now we are yeah like really looking at how we want to continue this in the future like do we want to um scale up or scale down i would say we would scale down hmm. sooner than up 
um, because our main values, like why we started this, why we are doing this, um, is with this small community that is really tight and really cares about the same things as we do and having the walls and the facilities that we can share with people who want to share it with us. Mm. Yeah. Does it feel sustainable both financially and, and it sounds like you work a lot if it's just you and your partner doing basically everything. Um, Do you feel like you're, you're sprinting and um, need something to change for it to feel more sustainable or does it feel sustainable as it is? Yeah, no, definitely. um, Well, definitely. I would say it as it is right now, it's not sustainable for a very long time. Um, so that's why we're now reconsidering like what what we uh, want to keep doing like this and what we want to change. Um, fortunately, there's an opportunity for that coming up as well. So that's nice. Um, but we are definitely also thinking about, okay, we, we started this two years ago. We have worked really hard in these two years, which is totally normal and acceptable for a new startup, for a company. Um, but we cannot do this for another five years. Mm. Uh, so we need to find a way to make our workload a little bit less so we can also focus more about uh, on the things that we want to focus on. Like we want to move to France at some point. So we're building a tiny house there, which is also really cool, but also a lot of work. So we want to be able to spend time on that. We want to be able to spend enough time on my own climbing, um, my own development, my partner's climbing as well, and coaching and st- things like this. So yeah, we are definitely thinking about what what we want in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the plan to move to France full time or would that be like a seasonal thing going back and forth between the, Nether- the Netherlands and, and Fontainebleau? Um, I think eventually we want to move there full time. Okay. Um, and then travel around from there mm-hmm. as well. Um, and um, yeah, but that will take a couple of years, but we are definitely thinking about phasing that uh, because we're already started building a tiny house there. So we're already there all the time and be like, uh, yeah, there more often and often. And I can. Uh, if we figure it out with the gym, I can also go there for longer periods of time, which would be nice. Um, and it's actually like really close. Mm-hmm. So that, that makes it nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I have a question that's from Lizzie. Uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. What did you just <laughs> say? People, I, I said Dutch people always think that six hours away is a crazy amount of distance. But <laughs> yeah. If you travel it enough, then it's actually all right. Mm-hmm. I think it's so, yeah, it's so funny how different people's uh, ideas of what a far drive is. Like, it's totally different. Like, it's totally different um, in the States, you know, depending on where you are, people in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. It's like, they don't blink an eye at driving six hours to go to the Red for Mm -hmm. a weekend. Whereas growing up in the Northwest, or if you're in Colorado, that seems kind of crazy for a short weekend trip. And then, yeah, every place in Europe feels, feels like everyone has their own relationship to traveling and, and driving and how far they're willing to go to climb. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Here in six, six hours, you can cross like five countries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. takes twice as long to drive across Texas. Um, okay. I have a question from Lizzie, who's a friend of yours. Yes. I, got, I got to meet Lizzie and... Um, hi, Lizzie. Hi, Lizzie. 
um, Lizzie connected the two of us. So thank you to Lizzie. What's it like to own and run a climbing gym, especially in the Netherlands where gym ownership is fairly male dominated? Um, well, we are so different from every other gym that we're sort of going our own way. Um, so for context, we are placed right next to the other Boulder and Jimmy Leiden Kunsthof, um, literally next door. Like you can, they can probably hear me right now when they're in the weight room. Um, so there has like, that has been, um, tricky sometimes, but yeah, so there has been quite a lot of, uh, contact of course. Um, but for the rest, like we are doing such different things that for us, it's most important to focus our attention on our community um, instead of like our place in the Dutch climbing community um, because it doesn't really, yeah. It's nice to cooperate sometimes here and there, um, but it, yeah, it's like, quite like big companies all of them so it's like mostly they're all sort of on their own doing their thing we are doing our thing so i don't really notice a lot from that even though it is male dominated but i don't really notice that very much okay yeah you're kind of isolated from it just doing your own thing yeah yeah was it hard to get people excited about the gym or did people feel excited right away well a lot of people were excited, but then didn't come. Okay. So that was a little, but I think this is always the case with like new things. Everybody's like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'll totally be there. And then when, when it is there, there, so it's like, that's something we needed to accept. Um, but um, uh, what is nice is that everyone who comes in and joins the class is super excited. Mm. So that's been really nice. That's been really validating. And we know our quality. We know that we are good climbing coaches um, and, you know, generally fun people, I think. <laughs> and everybody who comes in for our class is like really, uh, yeah, really appreciates what we do. So that has been really validating. Who are your favorite people to coach? Like what types of groups or, or people? Uh, more experienced athletes or brand new people that come in for the first time or... Do you like to teach a certain type of thing more than anything else? Yeah. So in the group, I, I have a couple of different things I do. I do the youth training, which is honestly like climbing wise, the least interesting because they just need to do climbing moves, but they are not going to listen to me if I explain to them what a heel hook is because they're six years old and whatever. They just need to climb. So, but I do love watching them like develop as people. Mm. Um, but that's like climbing wise, the least interesting thing for sure. And then for the adults, I teach climbing technique, um, which I find really fun. It's like my favorite thing about climbing is like figuring out techniques, figuring out movements, figuring out micro beta and tactics as well. Um, so that, that I really like. And then I do a couple of uh, personal training things. Um, so I have some people coming regularly and I have some people coming for a session just to discuss, um, yeah, their climbing schedule or whatever. Um, and my favorite thing is when you 
so I have been going through a lot of developments as a climber myself. Um, and if I can share that with people and help other people out with the same issues that they that I see in them and help them recognize them and help them work on them. And I know how important it has been to me. Um, that's what I like most, I think, mm. as a coach. Is this like the mental side, like the fear of failure and things like that? Yes, mental side very much, but also physical side. So also like little breakthroughs in climbing plateaus in train, like training wise, things like this, but definitely like how to approach a boulder problem, how to look uh, critically towards yourself um, without judging yourself and building up confidence, things like this. Can you think of a recent breakthrough that you've had? either in your outdoor rock climbing or in your training or something, anything? Well, I feel like it's been like a lot of small ones, but my most recent, most important one is really, as I said, like uh, develop like personal um, development and power um, to be like, yes, strong as a person and also um, conscious that I make my own choices, so I choose to train. So even if it feels like I don't want to, uh, it is my choice to be there and I don't have to be there. Um, and that makes me feel strong mm. um, because then I'm like, all right, I can walk away from this if I want. Um, and I think that's, a, that's been a really big breakthrough for me. That's cool. Is there anything you wish you had known when you started working on the gym? Oh, so many things. <laughs> so many things. What I wish I'd known. Well, first of all, the space that we are in is too big for us. Okay. Um, Interesting. And we tried to make it work at first, but after a year, I think, we started subletting a part of our space. And that's been amazing because we have creatives, um, we have artists, we have a canteen, we have all sorts of people. Um, and that's just lifted the financial pressure so mm. much for us, but also brought us in contact with amazing people. So that will be the first one. That's cool. Um, and then also that marketing thing, like we are not just for elite climbers. We are for everyone who wants to join our community and wants to improve themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the mindset you need to have and you don't need to have any specific level. I think that's the two main things that mm. I would tell myself. And to not stress out so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, if only it was as easy as just telling yourself not to stress out. <laughs> yeah. Because the things are not improving by stressing out. Yeah, totally. Totally. No, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a, always a great reminder for sure. Mm -hmm. What is exciting to you right now um, as far as the climbing scene? Um, well, I think what is really exciting to me is, um, I was thinking about this just this morning. Um, we are now in a position in climbing where we are still relatively small, but growing really fast. So we are just entering the world stage as a sport, I feel like, with the Olympics and stuff. Um, and I thought about this because I saw this post from Alana Yip this morning. Did you see it? Mm, no. 
Oh, it's about um, uh, the issue of weight in climbing, so body weight, um, and that there is, yeah, a lot of problems in there. But I also think like things about what we discussed about pressure in talented kids, like uh, fear of failure, people who don't succeed um and like topics like this and i feel like in climbing at this moment we have the opportunity to really work on those things because we are still quite small um but this is a super important phase to talk about things like this because we are growing so much so if we want the sport to grow healthily we need to address the things right now now that we're still small yeah um and i think that is happening and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally agree with that. <clears throat> Growing pains. Yeah. yeah, it's cool though. A lot of, I think a lot of like really important conversations have been happening over the last couple of years in climbing. Um, yeah. Obviously like, you know, outside of climbing and those filter into climbing social issues and things. But um, I, I think that climbers are actively choosing to wrestle with some of these things that are hard to talk about. Um, yeah, and I think because in sports, like some topics are like so much bigger than in other things, uh, or like maybe not necessarily bigger, but they are, um, yeah, they're, they're enlarged in a certain field, for example, like gender issues, um, like gender fluid people, they are really um yeah not treated really fairly when it comes to like can you compete or not things like this these type of topics but also the role of women like um yeah they're just enlarged in sports because it's so high performance so the same as you need to uh looking like you needing to look at yourself to because you see the difference in your performance if something is not going well. It's the same, I think, in the general sense. So uh, things just become so clear when it's sports because everybody seems to care about sports. Mm. Right. Yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier that that you really love the idea of becoming a professional climber um, and pursuing harder things to inspire other women. Who have been some of the women that have inspired you? Ah, oh, well, when, as I said, when I was a kid, I always used to watch the bouldering competitions. And yeah, it's like those, those women were like the first women that I really looked up to. So at the time it was like Anna Stur and Lula Worm and Alex Puccio, also like Kim Jain, like, oh, so cool. So that are definitely some of the the first ones that I felt really inspired by. And then, but then it's weird because at some point when you like enter the scene a little bit more, you actually start climbing with them mm -hmm. or like some of them. And then it becomes weird to have someone to look up to because <laughs> you're like standing right there. And like I've climbed with Eula Worm a couple of times now, which I was like really shocked in the beginning, but really she's just a person as well. So that has been a fun realization. I feel exactly the same way doing this. Yeah, talking to these yeah. people. I mean, I still look up to, you know, every, everyone that I interview and, and all my guests, but it is, it's a really fun thing where you just become, 
like that moment where you just become friends or when you just, you know, connect with them as a person and yeah, the, the aura kind of falls away and you're like, oh, right. Yeah. They're just, they just want to be thought of as a a human, like, like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I think that's maybe even more inspiring because then you can translate it better to your own life. Otherwise it's, there's so much distance between it. Um, if you just see them competing in a World Cup final, like there, it's really hard to relate to. Mm-hmm. But if you see them as normal people and just hang out with them in like daily life, then it can be even more inspiring because then you think, oh, I can do that too if I do these things too. Mm-hmm. Um, which is way cooler, I think. When you think about being an inspiration for others, what does a successful life look like for you? Maybe you're maybe you're already living it, but what do you aspire to in your climbing and then outside of your climbing as well? Like what what would make you feel really fulfilled? Like you're living your best life and being a, a great example for for other people who you might inspire. Um, well, what I think is really empowering is being able to make your own choices um, and standing behind them. So for example, like I live where I live because I choose to live here um, and I do what I do because I choose to do this, not because other circumstances made me do this. Um, So you take responsibility for your own life. um, And then also like, yeah, what I talked about with consciousness, like being conscious of who you are, your strengths and your weaknesses, accepting yourself for who you are, and then, yeah, working with that and positively working on empowering yourself and learning and development. Um, that is a fulfilling life for me. Mm. And climbing makes me able to do that for a very big part, but there's definitely also other things that make me able to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. Um, as far as your climbing goes, what is the, uh, what is the ultimate badass or ultimate inspiring thing that you can imagine doing in your climbing? Well, I am always really inspired by really classic lines. Um, because then I'm like, whoa, everybody climbed on this thing like the cool thing as you said is like all the good climbers from like the last decades tried this thing because it was so hard and so cool um and i'm also really inspired by first female sense um because i know for myself i always look at what other females have been doing um so if you can expand that pool of boulders then you can yeah give people maybe more opportunities because otherwise they might not think something is possible for them. Um, So like hard classic lines that haven't been done by women yet. And there are still definitely many of them left. So those are the highest ones on my list. Awesome. Maybe I'm putting you on the spot too much to ask you to name names. Do you have like anything that's the crown jewel on that, on that list? Oh, the crown jewel for sure is the big island. The big island. That's so sick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like the king line in Fontainebleau. And I always thought it was impossible for me um, because it's like super reachy. 
And I had been there with my boyfriend and he had tried it, but it was like full stand for me and he is way taller for me. But now Simon Lorenzi has done it with a different method, radio heel hook instead of the arm span. Um, and I'm the same height as him. So I was like, well, nice. I can do it now. So I should. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like awesome. the number one inspiration. Um, but then there's also um, the never ending story, mm -hmm. which is, King line, world class, never been done by a woman, and practice of the wild as well in magic food. So those are like <laughs> yeah. very cool. That's awesome. What are you yeah. working on improving in your own climbing right now? Um, mainly finger strength. I have relatively weak fingers, and that's never a good thing. So that's my main goal and like raw power. Um that's the physical aspect. So I'm doing a lot of hangboarding, a lot of campus boarding, a lot of moonboarding, which I love. I am obsessed with moonboarding. It's so fun. And I'm working on my own confidence, mental power. Okay. Confidence and mental power. Very cool. Yeah. I was also going to ask you, what are you working on right now when it comes to consciousness and personal development? And if you want, because that's a very personal question, but I'm, I'm willing to share something too. So yeah, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so that is mostly recognizing the, like, yeah, that eight, as I said, like the, the balance as me, who I am, like who I really am, um, and recognizing the power that lies in that, in that acceptance of who I really am. Um, yes. And working with that fear of failure that I developed as a kid um, and not just putting it aside as if it's not there, but really accepting the way it is and accepting that it's beautiful because it's me. Um, and I am, yeah, so that. Very cool. Do you have a project right now? Oh, yeah, well, it's summer now, so it's training season. Mm. Um, but I definitely want to get back to Magicwood to try some of those harder ones. And of course, Octopussy. Yeah, you were so close. But, um, and some things that I tried in Briona because I was there for a week and I tried a lot of things, but I couldn't really finish any of them. Um, so definitely want to go there again as well. It's so beautiful there. That's awesome. Tiba, anything else from our list that we haven't talked about that you think deserves more time and attention before we start mm. wrapping up here? I don't know. I think we covered a lot of things. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground. What is something that you wish people spent more time thinking about? It's a question I like to, to wrap up with. Consciousness. Yeah, yeah. So being real and being uh, who they really are. Um, mm. Yeah that I think the world can use more conscious people. Mm. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like what you mean by that is that, I mean, I, I mm -hmm. hear that and I hear you saying like, rather than being wrapped up and distracted all the time, like really being present, really being self-aware, mm -hmm. living an examined life, being aware of our impact on other people, on the world around us. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean? Anything you would add? Yeah, and also being true, so not neglecting the negative things about yourself. Mm. Uh, but yeah, having that whole picture 
mm. not looking away from anything and really looking at what like where your energy goes like do things drain energy do things give you more energy um how do you choose to spend your time really um yeah not like be lived by life but really live life mm. as you want <clears throat> not be lived by life yeah that's interesting yeah i i like that because that's so easy to, right yeah. to, to let other things kind of be in Depends. be in charge and and just yeah, 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 exactly. be kind of like a leaf in the wind a little bit yeah. going around i know yeah. i find that i find it um it's getting harder and harder to to not do that with um with all the demands on our attention you know with all the things pulling at our attention like just having a phone i think makes that so much yeah. harder than it used to be yeah and i also think the more um the more you are wrapped up in a certain life the harder it is to get out of that mm. Um, so maybe for you, you're like traveling around so much that you maybe are not tied down to so many things, but around me, for example, I see so many people that will be like, oh yes, um, I would love to travel around more. I would love to move to another country, but I have kids, I have a house here. I have a job here. I have this and this and this and this, I have a dog or whatever. Um, so the more you are into this one position in your life, the more you get wrapped up in it. Um, but you still have all the choices. It's still your choice to, to live that life. And of course it will be harder, um, and more complicated and more, yeah, different. Um, but it's still a choice that you make, um, which can also be really empowering because if you choose to stay in that situation, then at least it is you who chooses it. Um, so. That can be really empowering, I think. I really like that message. It uh, It's really empowering. I think it feels uncomfortable to hear because it puts people in the driver's seat of their own life. And of course, like life isn't yeah. fair. So I think that feels unfair sometimes. True. Um, to, to be made to feel like you are the one responsible for your life. And of course, like there's a lot of like societal and sy systemic issues that need to be fixed. But at the same time, only we can fix ourselves. Only we can change ourselves. Like no one else is going to come yes, along and change and, your life for you. And I think. Yeah. And even if we cannot change the situation, we can change our attitude towards mm, it. So we can yeah. choose acceptance. We can choose um, positivity or negativity. Like we, we can choose how to process things and how to deal with things for big part. Yeah. I had a period, I've, I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but you know, you said I'm, I travel around and I'm not tied down and that's totally true. Um, but for a while, the podcast was starting to, in the business I've built around, it was really starting to feel um, just overwhelming. I just felt like I had committed mm -hmm. to, to so many things and um, was putting a ton of pressure on myself to show up and like put out an amazing episode every single Monday um, and it led to me having my first ever panic attack. And I was just like kind of drowning mm -hmm. in like this overwhelm that, that, um, that I was kind of creating in this narrative. And I feel totally different about it now. And the only thing that has changed is my attitude about it and the way I think about it. And it was just like a, a shifting, like a framework 
and realizing like it doesn't have to carry all that weight. It doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. It can just yeah. be, you know, I get to have these really fun conversations every week with awesome people like you and enjoy it and then share it. And that's it. It, it can be really simple. And if I remind myself that that's what I'm doing here, it just like, ha, huh, it's, it's fun. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like pressure. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like um, people are expecting um, things from, from me or yeah, that I need to like live up to some bar or something. It's all that's just made up, you know, but it, it just yeah. that shift completely changed my experience of the work that I do and the feeling that I have, um, going through my day-to-day -day life. And yeah, it's, for sure. it's, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, our mindset, our perception is kind of everything. It changes everything. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Well, awesome. This has been an, a really fun conversation. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Bummed yeah. we didn't get to do it in person. It didn't quite work out with the timing, but it was yeah. really fun to meet you in person and get to climb together a little definitely, bit. Definitely. I have a question for you. Oh, great. Go in for it. Yeah. Was it your birthday last week? Yeah, it was. Oh, my... happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Was that the 19th? Uh, the 18th. Yeah. So it's oh, we're, we're talking on oh, Thursday, okay. June 22nd right now. And my birthday was on Sunday, the 18th. And, uh, oh, thank you. It was super fun, man. We, uh, my friend Jen, I, so I went out to pizza on Friday with some friends and I was, I was kind of unsure of what to do because birthdays aren't that big of a deal for me in general, but I wanted to do something. And then like Sunday in Switzerland, everything is closed. And I've learned that the mm. hard way a couple of times, like not getting enough groceries yeah. before a Sunday and like having to eat really weird food to kind of make it through the weekend. I know. Um, I had that too. So I wanted to do something. And then Jen was like, oh, I've been wanting to go over to uh, the Italian side of the Alps, still in Switzerland, and just have like a fun adventure day, you know, like, does anyone want to go? And I was like, yes, I'll go. And so we had a super fun day, ate some delicious food, had some crepes and some coffee, and we rented a motorboat and, and uh, drove around Lake Lugano and went swimming. And it was a great time. Cool. So great birthday. Nice. But yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. When's your birthday? September 1st. Okay. Coming up. Yeah, usually um, in font. Nice. It's a good thing to do, yeah. It's uh, always around the weekend of the Women's Bouldering Festival. Okay. Um, which is an amazing festival um, for women and gender queer people in Fontainebleau. Every year in September, so last week it started, or last year it started September 2nd, I think, which is Charlotte's birthday, which was really fun as well. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm usually around there. That festival started by uh, Zofia, right? Yes. You've had her on the podcast as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really cool. This is, um, I'll be involved in the organization this year for the first time, which is cool. Awesome. I'm the... Um, Mentor coordinator. Yeah, mentor coordinator. Very cool. Yeah. That'll be awesome. I hope to I hope to uh, go to Fontainebleau one of these days. I still haven't been. Yeah, you should. It's the best place. It looks incredible. It looks endless. <clears throat> it looks totally endless. Um, sorry for people listening. The internet's a little choppy yeah. here, so we're having some delay. But um, but yeah, again, so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you for doing this. And before I let you go, let people know where they can find you and what you want them to know about, whether it's um, what's going on with Wildflower Climbing and how they can be involved 
anything else that you're excited to share before I let you go? Um, yeah, so we are on Instagram at Wildflower Climbing Gym. I also have a coaching company, uh, which is Atma Climbing on Instagram. And there's a lot of exciting things on there. Um, I am on Instagram personally, Tiba Um So you can find me there. There's a lot of websites as well that you can find in all of those bios. Um, and yeah, I think don't hesitate to reach out to people because mm. everybody is together in this really nice community. And I think if, if people aren't less hesitant to, to reach out to things that they like about things or things that they want to learn about or things that they want to join, it's like this, we have this opportunity to have this really welcoming community in the climbing world, I think. Um, so yeah, go for it. Well, awesome. I will share links to all things Tiba Vroom. Can you say your last name for me again? Vroom. Vroom. Did I say it right? Vroom. No. No? <laughs> okay, I'll listen back to this. I, I have it recorded now, so I'll practice it for the intro. But <laughs> I will link to, yeah. I'll link to all your things. Word for piet. Say that again? Which is crazy. It's the Dutch word for pious. Pious. Okay. Good yes, to know. Which is so uh, not like me at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's classic. Well, it's great to see you. Thanks so for doing this. Um, for people listening, I'll link to all the things yes. in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. Um, your podcast, are you doing a podcast? Is there anything going on there that I should talk about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, we are, it's still uh, very much in early stages. So I have been in contact with someone who wants to do a Dutch climbing podcast and he was looking for a co-host and I was like, I love podcasts. I would love to do this. Um, so we recorded our first episode with Tim Reuser and we are excited to share that probably in September we are still working on a lot of things to make it actually happen. But um, yes, it's at the moment we call it the Klim Podcast. That's the climbing podcast, but then in Dutch. So a bit of a working name, but um, you can probably find it there quite soon or at least on my Instagram because I will share about it, obviously. It's so fun to do. It's like... <laughs> it's oh, the best. Yes. I'm excited and for podcast you. Is like, I love listening to them. It's like the perfect medium to be like, go a little deeper into topics um, and like really get someone's personal story. I really enjoy it. Mm. Yeah, that's the best. Super fun. Awesome. Well, I will uh, keep my eye out for it and I'll link to it when it when it drops. I'll link to your Instagram in the and meantime. I'll see you again. It's okay. I'm just trying to end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Are you there? Yeah, I just totally <laughs> lost you there. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, just yeah, wrapping up. I, I hear you again. But yeah, thanks again for doing this. <laughs> Best of luck with your training and your climbing and your gym. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hopefully we get to climb together Thank again. Thank you. Yeah, let me know if you're in Fonds. Awesome, we will do. Maybe one of these spring seasons, I'll come for a trip. Yes, it would be nice. Winter's better. Winter's better. But also colder. Okay. I'll be in touch for, yes. for the best times February. to go. I'm scared of the rain. So February. Okay. Sounds good. Ah, uh, don't be. <laughs> There's always karma to go to. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Very cool. All right. See you later. All right. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, friends. Before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time.